From the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies, this is Pardes from Jerusalem. I'm Larry Kluger, a Pardes alum. This week in Vayechi. This week, Rabbi Howard Marcos discusses Vayechi. Rabbi Marcos has prepared a handout sheet that you can use to follow along with the podcast. It's available from our Elmod site. Rabbi Howard Marcos is a member of the Pardes faculty. And now, Rabbi Howard Marcos. Thank you, Larry. Our parasha, Parshat Vayechi, brings us to the end of Sefer Breshit, the book of Genesis. Because it's the beginning of the history of the children of Israel, the first of the five books of Moses, I'm not sure that we can expect this book to end with triumph and glory. Rather, it will end with just under 70 Israelites, all one family, making their way to Egypt to join Joseph, who will help them escape the famine. Not only does the book of Breshit maintain a sober and staid rhythm as it brings the family of Jacob westward, but this closing parasha contains some very charged episodes in which members of Jacob's family, including Jacob himself, are faced with uncomfortable exchanges with other members of his family. It is my feeling that these stories are introduced into our narrative because the author, with a capital A, wants us to benefit from lessons learned by our ancestors. In our time together today, we will delve into the positive and negative outcomes of open and frank conversations carried on with mutual respect or perhaps a lack thereof. We will observe an exchange between Joseph and his father Jacob, and we will evaluate whether Joseph's brothers were right to have the final chat with Egypt's viceroy that they did. Vayikrevu yemei Yisrael lamut, vayikra livno liyosef, vayomer lo, imna matzati chen be'enecha, simna yadcha tachet yerechi, v'asita imadi chesed ve'emet, alna tikbereni b'mitzrayim, v'shachavti im avotai, unesatani mi'mitzrayim, Ukvartani bikvuratam. Vayomar, Anochi ese chidvarecha. Vayomer, Hishavali. Vayishava, lo. Vayishtahu Yisrael al Rosh Hamita. Our story begins that when the time approached for Israel to die, he summoned his son Joseph and said to him, Do me this favor. Place your hand under my thigh as a pledge of your steadfast loyalty. Please do not bury me in Egypt. When I lie down with my fathers, take me up from Egypt and bury me in their burial, in their burial place. He replied, I will do as you have spoken. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed down at the head of the bed. Jacob felt that the end of days were nearing, so it was time that he have an important discussion with someone about the days after his death. We can certainly agree or disagree about whether he should have had that discussion just with Joseph and not with all of his sons, but his request to be buried with his family in the cave of the patriarchs in Hebron was made to Joseph, who was probably turned to because he had the financial and political means to make it happen more than any of his siblings. My first question to those who are learning with me is whether we have had the chance to talk with our loved ones about where we wish to be buried so that they will not be left to conjecture. 
Honoring parents when they are alive is one thing. There is no greater mitzvah, the rabbis teach us, than to fulfill the wishes of our loved ones after they die, because there is no way that they can pay us back for that act of chesed ve'emet, that act of true kindness. Joseph swears to his father that he will indeed bury him in the Me'arat HaMachpelah, and with that very important matter taken care of, Jacob expresses a desire to bless his grandchildren, Joseph's boys, Menashe and Ephraim. The blessing of one's grandchildren has the potential of being a beautiful moment for the whole family. But that's not how it seems to have unfolded in our text. Joseph marches the two boys, Menashe the eldest and Ephraim the younger brother, to their Zaidi and instructs them to stand before Jacob. Because Jacob has failing eyesight, it is only natural for his son Joseph to be diligent in placing everyone in their proper spot so that the blessing will be given in the way that it should. As Joseph understands the tradition, perhaps from when he was at home in Canaan years ago, the firstborn stands in a spot where the father can place his right hand, and the nextborn receives a blessing from the grandfather who places his left hand on his head. Ostensibly, the right hand is the one that provides a more powerful blessing, which traditionally goes to the oldest. But what happens? Jacob crosses his arms at the moment that he is to give the blessing, placing his strongest hand on Ephraim, the younger, leaving the lesser left hand on the head of Manasseh, who was standing to his right. Had you witnessed this act by your aging, blind parent, what might your first thoughts be? They must be confused, you might say. They might need a bit more prompting to get it right. Let me help you, Dad, might very well be a natural reaction to this perceived confusion. That makes sense. The text then should read that Joseph took his father's hands and switched them before giving the bracha. But that's not what the text says. Instead, it was only after Jacob pronounced the entire blessing of his grandchildren, both of them, that Joseph stepped in and attempted to fix the problem of where his father's hands needed to go. Verse 14. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, thus crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. The Torah tells us that Jacob's sikel et yadav, as Ibn Ezra suggests, sikel et yadav, ki'ilu yadav hiskilu ma shehu la'asot, that the hands did exactly according to Jacob's sechel, his thought process. In other words, Jacob knew what he was doing. No confusion here whatsoever. And then the verse ends with the words, Ki which Ibn Ezra chooses to understand to mean that Jacob switched his hands, not ki because Menashe was the oldest, but rather ki in spite of the fact that Menashe was the oldest. The word ki here suggests Ibn Ezra means even though, 
the opposite of the standard meaning because. In our analysis of family dynamics, this difference in understanding motive is quite significant, I think. Jacob did what he did not to punish Menashe, as the standard translation might imply, but rather in order to give the blessings just as he wished to, even though it may not have been the way that had been traditionally done in the family. Jacob, old and blind, but certainly not demented or confused, proceeded in his own way, at his own pace, with his own agenda. We witness an interesting reaction from Joseph. On the one hand, pun intended, he did nothing to stop his father from presenting this crisscross blessing to Manasseh and Ephraim, and only after Jacob stopped talking did Joseph intervene by attempting to switch the hands. Vayomer Yosef el Aviv, Lochen Avi, Kizeha Bechor, Sim Yimincha al Rosho. Not so, father, Joseph said to his father, for the other is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. Pointing to Manasseh, Joseph sternly interjects, Not like that, Abba. This is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. In this depiction of the exchange between Joseph and Jacob, do you think that possibly Joseph is respectfully guiding his father so that he will bestow the blessing according to accepted tradition, knowing in his heart that that is what his father really wants? Or could it be that Joseph is being over-controlling by insisting that Jacob do the blessing His way, Joseph's way, giving the older son the more significant blessing emanating from the right hand. Or, perhaps, Joseph just reacted without thinking, wanting things to be as they always have been. And for those of us who read into Joseph's words even a modicum of rudeness or disrespect, we should even consider Jacob's response. Vayima'en aviv, vayomer Yadati vini yadati, gamhu yeleam, vigamhu yigdal, viulam achiv hakaton yigdal mimenu, vizaro yye melo hagoyim. But his father objected, saying, I know, my son, I know. He too shall become a people, and he too shall be great. Yet his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall be plentiful enough for nations. First, we are told, Vayimain Aviv, Jacob refused, refused to follow his son's directive to switch his hands. Then, in the most curt manner possible, Jacob blurts out, Yadati Vini Yadati, I know, my son, I know. I know exactly what I'm doing, and I am in complete control of my thoughts and my blessings. Menasha will be fine in this world as well, but chill out, my son. I have to admit to you that were I to have been present witnessing this exchange between father and son, I would have just tried to slip away quietly without anyone noticing. Uh, I'll, ju- I'll just go now. I can see myself out. Thank you. First of all, Joseph, the deed is done. The blessing has been given. Second of all, Who are you to speak to your father like that? This verbal exchange ended abruptly 
with only a few more choice words going back and forth between father and son. What is worth noting here is the prediction that Jacob then offers regarding these two Egyptian-born grandsons of his. Jacob declares in the following verse, verse 20, Vayivarchem bayom hahu lemor, Becha yivarech Yisrael lemor, Yisimcha Elohim ke'efraim v'chimenasheh. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you shall Israel invoke blessings, saying, God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. These are words that have been uttered by Jewish parents to their children as part of the traditional Friday night ritual ever since. Good call, Jacob. But we are here to talk about family dynamics. Up to this point, we have examined some interesting interplay between a father and a son, which leaves some of us with an impression that Jacob and Joseph even though they had been apart for over two decades, or perhaps because they had been apart for so long, were not so adept at giving one another the benefit of the doubt regarding actions and comments made by the other. While the tension between them was not so thick that you could cut it with a knife, the dynamic between them was admittedly not 100% smooth and easy. Which brings us to our final look at the dynamics of Jacob's family. Please recall that Jacob's brothers actually hated him at one time, when he lived at home prior to them selling him to the Ishmaelites or whoever it was that was passing by on the way to Egypt. We are not told of Joseph's feelings towards his brothers, even after all that they had done to him, perhaps because in his incredible successes in Egypt, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers saying, So, Joseph said to his brothers, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. My journey, Joseph said, was God's will. Your contribution was necessary in order to allow me to reach a place where I could save you from the famine in Canaan. Do you think that the brothers believe Joseph as he speaks to them in such a conciliatory tone? Or might one conclude that in spite of all the good that Joseph did for the brothers once they came to Egypt, they still at least some of his siblings, they still must have felt anger, jealousy, or resentment toward him. And it was as a result were blind, blind to Joseph's sincere elation that he could bring them out of the famine in Canaan and re- reunite the entire family in Goshen in, in Egypt. In my opinion, that jealousy and mistrust manifest itself in a very interesting way. The brothers projected, I think, believing that Joseph still had it in for them, reasonable enough based on the trauma he put them through before he revealed his identity to them, that after their father dies, he will really hurt them as payback for what they did to him. Verse 15. Vayumru lu yistemenu Yosef, v'hashev yashiv lanu, 
את כל הרעה אשר גמלנו אותו. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrong that we did him? So they lied. They told Joseph that their father told them to tell Joseph, in his father's name, to forgive his brothers for all of their misdeeds against him. Vayitzavu el Yosef lemor, avichat siva lifnei moto lemor, kotomru liyosef, ana sana pesha achecha vechatatam kira'a gemalucha, veata sana lefesha avdei elohei avicha. So they sent a message, this message to Joseph. Before his death, your father left this instruction. So shall you say to Joseph, Forgive, I urge you, the offense and guilt of your brothers who treated you so harshly. Therefore, please forgive the offense of the servants of thy, the God of your father. Rashi comments, Avicha tziva, Shinu badavar mipnei hashalom, they altered the facts for the sake of peace, for Jacob had given no such command because Joseph was not suspect in his eyes. On one level, we can understand that the brothers were afraid of this viceroy Joseph, who had the power to do to them whatever he wanted, so they felt the need to call upon their father's voice with whom Joseph was close even to Jacob's dying day to protect them from their brother's wrath. On the other hand, hadn't Joseph made it crystal clear that as far as he was concerned, the feud was over? Might this be why the text then reports that following the brother's lie, Vayefk Yosef bedabram elav, Joseph cried as they spoke to him. I don't think that he cried because he was emotional as his brothers brought up the name of his beloved father who was making a posthumous request. And I don't think that he cried because he knew in his heart that he would not do anything to hurt his brothers. I think that Joseph cried because he realized that after everything that had taken place between himself and his brothers, and after Joseph had assured them that God's plan was being fulfilled to the benefit of the f- entire family, and that there really were no more hard feelings, they still didn't trust him. And in Joseph's tearful eyes and aching heart, they must have still hated him so much that they felt that they needed to lie to him. How difficult is it for us to offer words and deeds of sincere reconciliation to someone with whom we share conflict or with whom we have had difficulties in the past, only to be met with expressions of doubt, distrust, and deceit. I know it would make me want to throw my hands up in despair and perhaps even give up the quest to make up if that happened to me. This, I think, is why the Torah goes into even to greater detail about this critical encounter between the brothers. Joseph's modeling of how to greet this rejecting begins with not taking their words or actions personally, but rather see them through eyes that ultimately believe that even the most challenging and difficult situations are somehow for the best. This 
is how the universe is aligned. Perhaps that how, is how we can see it. God's will? Maybe. Simply human beings being fallible human beings? Quite possibly so. Here's what Joseph said next. Vayomer alehem Yosef, al tirau, ki hatachat Elohim ani, ve'atem chashavtem alai ra'a, Elohim chashava litova, leman aso kayom hazeh, lahachayot am rav, ve'ata al tirau, anochi achal kelethem, ve'et tapchem, vayenachem otam, vayedaber al libam. In these three verses, Joseph was able to put his brothers at ease as much as he possibly could. Joseph said to them, Have no fear. Am I a substitute for God? Besides, although you intended me harm, God intended it for good, so as to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. And so fear not. I will sustain you and your children. Thus he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. I guess the Torah was so uneasy about the dynamics observable between the siblings, it felt compelled to add a line to say that things were fine after this, assuring the doubting readers that they really did reconcile. Or did they? My friends, family relationships are complicated to be sure. And our Torah does not shy away from pointing out weaknesses in the manner in which parents speak to their children, the way children speak to their parents, or the way siblings go at it, communicating tensely and tersely with one another, while at the same time harboring suspicion, jealousy, resentment, or mistrust. And yet, in spite of it all, the children of Jacob, we were able to come together generations later to enter the land of Israel, to set up a working society, and to foster enough successful and healthy communication so that we literally wouldn't kill each other most of the time. God knows we still don't get along, and we still have trouble trusting one another, and sometimes we even lie to bring shalom bayit into the dy dynamic, peace in the home. But we Jews are still here, on this earth, doing our best to better ourselves, our families, our society, and the world around us. This is our destiny, to try to fulfill God's will, to align the universe, meeting, meeting one challenge at a time. How thankful we must be that we continue to have that chance on the earth. As we say in the synagogue, when we complete the reading of the book of Breshit this coming Shabbat morning, Chazak, Chazak venit Chazek. Be strong, be strong, and let us share our power mutually today and in the years to come. Thank you, Rabbi Marcos. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. Jerusalem.